From Flourish DX, this is the Psych Health and Safety Podcast. With workplace mental health becoming a safety prerogative, this is the source of information on psychological injury prevention and health promotion. Hi, and welcome to the Psych Health and Safety Podcast. My name is Jason Van Shee, and I'm one of the hosts of the show. The aim of the podcast is to rapidly increase the knowledge and application of psychological health and safety in workplaces worldwide. To help with this, we'll have regular guests from around the world who are leading the way in this important area. But before I introduce our guest and topic for today, allow me to introduce my co-host, Joelle Mitchell. How are you today, Joelle? I'm, I'm caffeinating, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, our guest uh, is in a very different time zone to what we are, and so we're having to make adjustments for our very special guests. So <laughs> well done for getting up early, Joelle. I know you're not a morning person. I'm not. I'm not. Um, <laughs> it's the subject of um, much mirth among my co-workers usually so um yep but i'm here i'm keen let's get going <laughs> <laughs> okay i don't want to disappoint we'll, we'll get into it so look i'd now like to introduce our guest for today she's now the second canadian to feature on the psych health and safety podcast uh, she has a few day jobs including working as a director for strategy and collaboration at workplace strategies for mental health in canada but I much prefer to refer to her as many people do as the godmother of psychological health and safety. Welcome to the podcast, Marianne Bainton. Well, thank you, Jason. I think being called the godmother would not be as good as being called the fairy godmother, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah, I think my um, five-year-old daughter would love to meet the fairy godmother of psychological health and safety. <laughs> That's um, right. <laughs> so. Yeah. Now we are so stoked to have you on. You're one of the um, more referred to guests when people ask us uh, or when we ask people who we should have on. So thrilled that you could come on so early in our podcast series. Okay, well, now you've set the standard really high. Thanks a lot. Yeah, no pressure. <laughs> just, just putting the bar really high for you. So um, if you're not the best guest so far, I'm going to be very disappointed. Equally, equally. <laughs> myself and Marianne, so don't disappoint, all right? All right. <laughs> Um, so before we get started, we like to ask our guests a little bit about themselves. Um, and since we're a podcast, we ask them what their favorite podcasts are. So what are you listening to, Marianne? Well, I'm sure yours will become my favorite podcast, but there's there's two that I listen to on a really regular basis. One is Noble Leaders Having Noble Conversations, and that is by Sarah Jenner of Mindful Employer Canada. And the other one is Brene Brown's um, Unlocked podcast um, that I quite enjoy her and her guests. So those are the ones that I listen to usually while I'm getting dressed or undressed. That's about the only time I stop long enough. Yeah, it can be hard to find time to, to listen to the, the content, can't it? Yes. Mm. All right. Well, that's great. Can you, um, we'll move on and, and talk about your professional career then. Um, so tell us all about that. Oh, it's <laughs> a long and winding road when you get to my age. So um, I started off as a small business owner and I had eight employees. Four of them had a diagnosis of a mental illness, but I was so ignorant. I was still in my twenties that um, I didn't really understand even what a mental illness was. And these individuals were very competent professionals. And so all I did because of my age and because of my ignorance was to say, what do you need for me to do your job? And they told me, and that seemed like 
it worked just fine. I was able to sell that business, go back to school and get my master's in social work. So then I'm asked uh, to go uh, for a job at the Canadian Mental Health Association. And I realized that people didn't understand that you could ask someone with a mental illness what they need. It seemed like such an obvious thing to do. And uh, quite frankly, most of my career was built on asking people questions. So I went from developing the mental health works program for the Canadian Mental Health Association to the what is now the director of collaboration and strategy with workplace strategies for mental health. And in and around all of this, I also um, was the co-chair of the technical committee for the National Standard of Canada on Psychological Health and Safety in the Workplace. And so I've had lots of opportunity to be involved with the issues of disability, with the issues of uh, management, and uh, with the issues of mental health. Oh. Wonderful. Thank you. And it uh, sounds like um, what, what you're saying there is similar to what we've heard from a number of our guests around the importance of consulting with with the workforce about you know what are their experiences and that really they're the best place to people to, to tell us what it is that that they need um, to, to be able to support them to work in a, in a safe and healthy way. Right. I think the, the challenge is that uh, with the stigma around mental health people think well if you have depression or anxiety, how would you know what would work? Um, and yet it really is about helping somebody to be successful in the workplace rather than what a lot of people think accommodation is, which is asking less of people. Mm. There's lots of ways to help people stay contributing, stay productive, which is better for their mental health than putting them in a corner and saying, well, I'm a caring person, so I expect nothing from you. Yeah, that that need to be um, contributing and and useful and and doing something meaningful, yeah, is, is absolutely vital to the mental health. Yes, and it's actually described by some individuals that when you're in a workplace where you are removed from the distractions of your own repetitive negative thoughts, which is depression, or your own repetitive worry or fear, which is anxiety, and you focus on a job that you know how to do well, that it's a refuge. It's a refuge from the mental illness. It's a refuge from the stress of everyday life. And it actually can be the best place for recovery. Yeah, absolutely. That's the, the recovery at work piece that's, that's so important. Yeah. Yeah, so um, you uh, obviously are on the technical committee for the development of the national standard in Canada. Um, we did have Sapna Mahajan on uh, episode four, who also was involved in the development of that. Um, so in your own words, tell us a bit about the history of, of the standard and, and your involvement with it. Okay, so I'll, I'll tell it to you the way I tell it to most people. A doctor, a lawyer, and a social worker walked into a bar. <laughs> <laughs> This is a true story. They sat down, they ordered beer, and the lawyer said, you know, people are getting hit with lawsuits about having an unsafe workplace uh, that is causing mental harm. 
And they're trying to figure out, well, what do I do to prevent this? And the doctor said, you know, patients are going off work on stress leave. They're getting treated, but they go back to the workplace and the, they, their symptoms just happen all over again, sometimes within hours of getting back to work. And the social worker said, well, how does that make you feel? And they slapped her. No, that part. <laughs> <laughs> the social worker said, the problem is that people don't understand that it is a, there is a good business model to be a mentally healthy workplace and a productive one. They think it's a trade-off. You can have one or the other. And if they understood how, then they probably would be much more inclined to do it. And the doctor in this case was Dr. Ian Arnold, who at the time was the chair of the Workforce Advisory Committee with the Mental Health Commission of Canada. And the lawyer was Dr. Martin Shane, who is an academic lawyer, but also is really an expert in workplace mental health in his own right. And I was the social worker. And from there, we said, we have this resource because both Martin and Ian had been involved with it called Guarding Minds at Work, which is free to anybody in the world. And it's a way to assess psychosocial factors, right? To assess psychological health and safety. And what we said is the time is right now because before that time, the cost for employers to be able to assess and then address psychological health and safety would have been so exorbitant as to make it uh, impossible, an impossible burden on a workplace. So we said, since the resource is free, let's find out if people have an appetite to create a standard that is um, consensus-based, that it's created not for any one interest group. Um, I know at the time, the company that is Canada Life said, if you want, we'll pay for the standard. We said, well, thank you very much. That's very generous of you, but people may not feel as confident in a standard paid for by one particular organization. And what we had the benefit of is um, at the time, Senator Michael Kirby, he went to the government of Canada and lobbied them to support the development of the standard. And that's how it got made, is that uh, primarily the government of Canada funded the, the um, technical committee to create the standard. Yeah, so the doctor, the lawyer, the social worker, did they write the first version of the standard on the back of some beer coasters by any chance? <laughs> yeah, actually, that's not that far from the truth. But we um, we got together with a lot of our colleagues who also were interested in this. And there were several sort of meetings before we ever got to the place of doing a standard. And um Ian and I, so Dr. Arnold and I, we even went to the Standards um, Council of Canada to say, if this were to become international, what do we have to do? And we actually created it with the future in mind that maybe one day we'd have an international standard for psychological health and safety. Yeah, and we'll talk about ISO 45003 and 
and the contribution of Canada to that um, in a little bit in this podcast. Um, the reason I bring up the boat, beer coaster uh, idea is apparently that's how the management standard in uh, the UK was actually first drafted. There you go. <laughs> very, very uh, kind of British kind well, of way to my, do it. <laughs> my big takeaway from from this, um, you know, and we've got the data point from uh, from Peter as well, is that um, we just need to spend more time in bars, really, because yeah. that's where <laughs> brilliant ideas emerge. Yeah. Um, you know, this whole, um, you know, no, no alcohol at work thing. <laughs> killing creativity <laughs> yeah as a software yeah as a software development company um, we did have to introduce joel to a concept called borman's peak uh, you can google it if you're not sure what that is so. I, I will check it out <laughs> i don't know what it is uh, so it was it, for most people that were involved with the development of the standard it really was a work of passion that all of us at some point in our careers saw people suffer in the workplace needlessly um, because other people didn't understand or because people were put in positions of leadership without any um, skill set to lead in a in a safe way and so we really felt strongly about what we were doing somebody came to me and said well, why is Canada doing this? Like you guys have better laws than most workplaces anyway. So what does it matter? But it's, unless we're looking at continual improvement all the time, we would all say, well, I'm better than you. So I'm not going to bother. Mm. But something that I mentioned to Jason um, earlier is that we were very inspired by a lot of the work out of Australia. We felt that um, there was some really great things coming out of there. And we looked at it to inspire and help guide us. Yeah, I think a little bit of competition goes a, a good way. So um, yeah. uh, I think UK, Australia, Canada, definitely probably three of the leading countries all from the Commonwealth um, uh, in this space. Um, I definitely see the National Standard of Canada probably being the, the most widely used um, uh, standard. In fact, we have large organisations here in Australia, rather than adopting the local guidelines, they're actually using the National Standard from Canada. So you are having international impact with that standard. It's not just being used by Canadians, obviously. I think Sapna mentioned it had been downloaded 65,000 times or, or something like that to date. So it's amazing. It is. It, it's, a, it's wonderful that they were able to also make it free. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what uh, at Workplace Strategies, everything we put out is free to everyone in both English and French. And part of the thought process for this um, came from somebody who's actually an actuary. And he said, well, if they say they don't have um, enough research, they don't have the resources they don't have you know the information that they need to have a psychologically safe workplace let's take away all those excuses by giving it to them at no cost yeah i think the international organization for standardization could probably learn a thing or two from canada we had to pay just to access their draft so uh, <laughs> maybe maybe making it free is what they, they need to, to look at but um, tell us then, you know, there's, there's so many companies that are using it, but is the standard always the, the best thing to use? Well, it's an interesting question, Jason, because my answer is no. It's not always the best. And people go, oh, you know, it's the gold standard. How could you <laughs> say that? Hmm. 
But the thing is, is that the standard is best practice. It's a very high threshold to meet and it should be aspirational. That that's what organizations want to aspire to. But it can be used as an excuse to do nothing at all because it's either we're going to put all these resources into doing the entire project or we're not gonna start. So I don't want organizations to be intimidated by the standard that you do nothing unless you can do it all. It's, it takes a fair amount if you're really gonna comply with the standard. It takes a fair amount of paperwork. It takes a fair amount of process to get it done. It also takes time and it takes money. And if you don't have a budget for it, if you don't have the time to devote to it, again, that's a reason to not start. What I say is that, especially for small businesses, it, that the standard can be a reference point for you to say, let's see what we might not have thought about yet. Let's see what we could still do. But to actually complete the whole thing, it becomes check boxes and uh, just a series of activities rather than actually changing what psychological health and safety in the workplace is. And that is how we treat each other. That's what it is. And so the only way that the standard is successful is following the tenant, one of the principles of it, which is you need to engage the employees meaningfully from the very beginning. In other words, asking them, what does psychological health and safety mean to you? What would need to be different for you to feel safe, to speak up about concerns, for you to feel that you're motivated and you're energized about coming into work. And this is the piece here where you don't need the standard. What you need is you need to have the question, how will this, this policy, this change, this interaction, this process, how will this impact the psychological health and safety of the people here. If you start to embed that question, you're going to have a shift in thinking, you're gonna have a shift in focus. And yet it doesn't require a whole other project or a whole other investment. It's a mindset where we're really looking at the impact that it has. But when I look at psychological health and safety, there's at least four levels. There's the organization itself, which is policy, right? What does the organization do? What's the culture like? The next level is that of leadership. You know, are they psychologically safe leaders in this organization? The next one is teams. How do teams interact with each other? And then the final level is right at the employee level because you can have the best leaders you want. You can have the best policies you want. You can have all of the team activities that are for psychological health and safety. But if the employees treat each other poorly, you'll never have a psychologically healthy and safe workplace. And what you need to do is start somewhere and understand the big picture, which the standard gives to you, but start somewhere, anywhere, that aligns with what you're doing anyways. And when I say that, I mean, 
If you are an organization where the only strategic goal this year is to increase sales, you as the person who's interested in psychological health and safety are not likely going to convince the powers that be to invest this time and energy in psychological health and safety. But what if what you're suggesting actually is in support of their goal, Hmm. of their objectives? So I know from the research that emotional intelligence has a direct correlation to sales figures. And so I would suggest, why don't we work to improve the emotional intelligence of your staff, the sales staff and, and their managers in order to help you meet your goal of increasing sales. Now, I know it's going to improve psychological health and safety, but I also know that it's something that will serve their needs right now and they're much more likely to commit to it. Yeah, no, that's great advice, Marianne. Um, we had similar advice from Wade Needham in episode two, who does you know uh, do a lot of work at board level or convincing um, the executive about the need to do health and safety properly. Uh, and, you know, it's all about understanding what are their uh, motivations, you know, how are we speaking their language in order for them to, to make a change? Yes. Trying to convince them of yours. And you tell a busy, overwhelmed uh, executive who's worried about the sustainability of the organization that they should think about this other idea that you're passionate about. It's a tough sell. Yeah, absolutely. So you need to make sure if you're going to do psych health and safety, you really need to align it to the goals of the business. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit more about leadership, Marianne. So you you mentioned leadership as one of the um one of the tiers or or the levels in in the overall process. Um, what do you see as the role of leadership in creating psychologically health and safe, healthy and safe workplaces? Yeah, I, it gets me every time too, Joel. Um, so. Clause 4.4.1 in the standard, and I'm paraphrasing here, but it basically says, if you have people whose job is to support, manage, or lead people, they ought to be competent to support, manage, or lead people in a psychologically safe way. Well, that sort of makes sense, right? But the problem was, There was no real way to test that. There was no real way to help managers because if we just fired all the ones that weren't currently competent, we would have (laughs) a mass exodus. But if we look at um, what that is, I went to Dr. Jody Samra, who is one of the researchers who developed Guarding Minds at Work. And I put it to her, if we were to look just at the responsibility of a frontline leader to their employees around the psychosocial factors that are in the standard, what would you ask them? And what she created is psychologically safe leader assessment. Again, free in English and French, but what it does is it measures the extent to which you do leadership strategies that are known to have a positive impact on psychological health and safety. So it's, a, it's not a personality contest. It's not you know your character traits. It's very focused on, do you do these things? Now, 
what you do with that information, because it's a self-report to begin with, is you look at what it is. And my advice to organizations is you give your managers at least a six-month running start. So you get their results and you help them in any area that they want to improve to do that improvement. And then six months later, you get the employees to report back on where the leader is. We don't want to set leaders up for failure. We don't want to say, hey, we caught you not being psychologically safe when they don't even know what it means. We want to set them up for success. So you get them to understand what the expectations are. You get give them the resources to improve. And then you get the employees to measure. Now, when the employees measure, that may not be that they think their leader is perfect, but there's reasons for that. You know, for instance, if the question is, if you had a mental illness, would your leader um, support you? Well, they may think that they wouldn't, but they don't know because there's never been a discussion about it. So then we would coach the leader to talk about what you would do if you found out. Talk about the resources that you would connect your employees to if that was the case so that you can change that impression rather than um, just feel like, oh, well, if the employees say I'm not as perfect as I thought I was, then uh, it must be a mistake. So, But leadership, I liken it to parenthood, right? So you have a child, child gets in trouble, it's got to be the parent's fault. Well, we know it's not always. Sometimes the child may have behavioral problems. Sometimes they just make a bad decision in the moment. Sometimes they're hanging out with the wrong crowd. But the point is that the parent has more responsibility and influence than any other person. And so we hold a parent to a high standard in managing and um, facilitating the child's behavior. Well, in the workplace, we're not all kids, we're adults, but still the manager has more responsibility and influence than anyone else on the employee's behavior. And so we want to help that leader, that manager to be able to do the job that they're tasked to do in a psychologically safe way without just pointing fingers and saying, you know, it's all your fault because it's not fair. Mm. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, a lot of the time that, um, that dynamic that you're talking about there about leaders, um, and sort of the analogy to being parents, um, you know, one of the, I guess one of the workplace hazards that that we do see from a, a psychological perspective for workers is when leaders do take on that more of that parenting role where they're doing a lot of that micromanagement and you know excessive oversight and too much control and and not providing the autonomy and I guess um, the sort of recognition that that you know that this group of people that I'm responsible for are actually fully capable and competent adults and I can you know let them get on with it. And, and there's this whole other, there's a whole other area of conversation. Micromanaging is often fear-based, 
And so what are you afraid of that you feel like you have to do it all yourself that you can't because you can, you leader can reduce your stress significantly if you can let go of your fears and support every employee to be as successful as they can be, then it's going to be better for you, for the organization, and definitely better for the employees too. Yeah, absolutely. And that, I guess, um, goes further up the line then in, in terms of the, um, you know, what, what's the culture of leadership at that organization and what's the tone that's being set from the executive level that's driving those types of behaviors in your sort of middle level management? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We could, we could really get into the psychology <laughs> of leadership as well, but, but uh, not enough. Maybe time we'll to- get you on another time, Marianne, <laughs> and we can, we can really get into that one. Yes. Um, so you've mentioned a few of the resources that are available in Canada. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that, the resources that can help companies assess psychosocial hazards at work? So you've mentioned um, the leader assessment and the guarding minds at work. Yeah, both. Well, Guarding Minds at Work was just updated because we felt that it didn't, the psychosocial factors were not distinct enough. There's so much, there is overlap anyways. It's just the way it is. But we tried to make them more distinct. But we also added things like burnout and vicarious trauma and inclusivity or or stigma so that it really covers a broader range of issues. Um, We created a series called On the Agenda, which is a facilitator's guide, a slide presentation, and a participant handout so that you can talk to your team about any one of the psychosocial factors and bring them together to say, what does this mean? What does it mean to us? What would we like to be different? And what are we willing to do ourselves as employees to improve this psychosocial factor for our team. And so that's all available. Um, Psychologically safe leader assessment, we're working on improving that as well. It will be released probably this fall, but even as it is now for any leader who just isn't sure what they should do to take that anonymously, confidentially, just yourself, take the assessment, then you can look at it and go, oh, okay, here's some things that I could do differently or do more often or do better. And you can be on your way. We're working right now on um, an emotional intelligence assessment. There's lots of them that are out there that are free, but ours will be directly linked so that every single statement gives you a resource to help you improve that area of emotional intelligence. So whether it's about self-awareness or self-management or it's about relationships or social awareness and uh, can help you there. I'll just say one more. There's a place on our website that's got assessment tools and workshops. And there's workshops on things like implicit bias, um, leveraging team wisdom, where you bring the team together so they start to problem solve together more effectively. We have one learning to recharge where you bring your team together to think about when their energy is low, what kind of activity would help them. And so you take them through different types of activities so that they can explore and choose what's gonna work for them. But yeah, there's just, there's so much. And so my my, um, feeling is 
that what's on workplace strategies for mental health, if you don't find it there, then email me through contact us because it probably is there and you just, uh, because there's so much you couldn't find it. That's amazing, Marianne. That sounds like a really, a really valuable trove of, um, of treasure there for, for people to go and dig around in and, and see what's going to be good for them. Can you tell us where, whereabouts we can access that? So the website is workplacestrategiesformentalhealth.com and uh, it's there. Not, you don't even have to sign in. You can create a profile so you can bookmark and place comments and do things like that, but you don't even have to do that. Everything's free for you to download without registering or doing anything. Fantastic. Yeah, sounds like an amazing resource. Um, so in, in many ways, we see Canada as almost world leaders up there, obviously with Australia and the UK, I still put Canada slightly ahead. Um, but what are some of the challenges that still need to be addressed in Canada in relation to psychological health and safety? Well, you know, here's something strange <laughs> is that I, I, one day I was just thinking, I wonder if I'm responsible for the pandemic. Because I wished that more employers in Canada and around the world really understood that if you support psychological health and safety, what you're doing is you're maximizing the energy, the focus, the motivation of all your employees. So if we do it, we don't need to do it just for people who may be unwell, although it's really protective for them. But for everybody, if we maximize their energy at work, it's such a benefit for employers. And during this pandemic, many more of them get it. They're suddenly calling all the time. Can you talk to my employees about resilience, about managing their stress, about mental health while they're working, about how they deal with all of this? It existed before, but it's suddenly much more obvious. So I think that our issue was always that some employers didn't see it as beneficial for them, that it was a feel good, nice to have, rather than something that really uh, contributed to organizational excellence. And here in Canada, at least, there's been a significant awakening to that fact. So, yeah. yeah, Marianne, I think on LinkedIn, you said that you were holding yourself responsible for the pandemic. I said, I'm pretty sure as a guy who ate a bat that that started the whole thing. Um, so <laughs> don't blame yourself. But like yourself, um, we definitely see here in Australia as well, that the pandemic has probably brought forward our agenda around psychological health and safety a good three to five years because of this intense focus on, on mental health. We always have topics that we still want to cover. Trust is a big one. Authenticity. But again, the pandemic's helped with that. Some people never saw their boss as a human until their children and their dogs and, the, you know, everything's going on all around them. And you realize, yeah, they're just a person too. So that authenticity got shut off in the workplace and now is being turned back on and that aids psychological health and safety, not oversharing, not being inappropriate, but, but being authentic and trustworthy 
is such an important concept. And I think we'll be exploring that a little more um, going forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great. So um, are there any other challenges that still need to be addressed? I think it's, it's, you know, one of those things like occupational health and safety, it's never going to be done. It's going to be continual improvement. And that, that's as it should be, that it's something that is iterative and not a one and done. And so, yes, there'll be lots more to improve as we go forward. Yeah, I'm looking forward to um, many companies adopting things like the global standard and the Canadian standard um, and developing lots of case studies about how do you do this well and what are the, the implications for employee mental health or productivity or engagement or whatever the driver of the business is. Um, well, and that's where the research is going to go, right, is to really make the business case for why, why this is the, the right business decision. Yeah, that's terrific. Um, just briefly, we didn't have it on the agenda, um, but how do you think the Canadian standard um, differs or works with, say, the ISO 45003 standard that's in draft format at the moment and hopefully imminent release? We're the full meal deal when it comes to psychological health and safety, and and they're they're the happy meal. So it's, <laughs> it's really just no the difference. No. <laughs> yeah, it's that the the rest of the world wasn't ready um, for the aspirational approach that the Canadian standard is, because in my estimation, it talks about um, what management has to do, not just about we need to protect the psychological health and safety of our staff, but that we are responsible for the way we behave as well. And, and the unions in, in the Canadian standard and the unions are also responsible to behave in a psychologically healthy and safe way. And I think that's a lot. And so rather than put all of it in right now, um, they're making steps forward in that, that are not as complete or aspirational. And, you know, in my, I know there were people that were very disappointed, but in my mind, I think it's a step forward and I think we'll take it and be celebrated and, you know, get people at that level before we ask them to go further. I think it's okay. Yeah, now that's that's great to hear from you. Uh, obviously, if you are the leader worldwide and you then have to get a consensus from other people in the world who aren't doing it as well, then there is gonna be a little bit of watering down from like you say, the aspirational target that is the Canadian standard. Uh, but obviously the Canadian standard had a huge influence on the development of the ISO 45003 standard. So that's uh, very apparent. And we had pushback on our standard too. Mm. There were different interest groups who said, you can't do this. We're going to all be sued, the risk management, the legal liability. And it never happened. It wasn't what they feared. And uh, many now have seen the benefit. But we had, we sent it out for public review and we had 866 comments. And, and our job is to read every single comment 
and then decide whether to incorporate it or vote on saying, no, we're not going to. So it was a lot of work, hmm. but it made it way better, you know, by having that input and having people think about unintended consequences, as well as possible missed opportunities. And so uh, I came away from that process really feeling good about the consensus process that led to the standard. Yeah, we have um, Ian Firth from Safe Work New South Wales, who will be on the following episode after this one. We've actually recorded with him already. Um, he and Safe Work New South Wales have released a draft code of practice for psychological health at work, um, particularly for their state. It's industry uh, agnostic. Um, but yeah, they've gone through that consultation phase themselves and they found yeah, heaps of ways to sharpen, I guess, what they were doing and make it more applicable for industry. And that's what you want at the end of the day. You want their buy-in, so they're actually going to use it. Exactly. That's exactly right. Because if it's not going to be used, then it's of no value at all. Mm -hmm. All right, Marianne, do you have parting words of wisdom that you would like to share for professionals who would like to work in this field of psychological health and safety? That it's a very broad field. I mean, you can be a statistician collecting data and analyzing it. You can be someone who's looking at HR practices. You could be somebody who's working with leaders. You could be somebody who is engaging with frontline employees. So it's a very broad field. Um, those of us who are in it consider ourselves to be very fortunate that we love our work. Um, but here's the but is that um, our passion sometimes can make us hypocrites, meaning we espouse psychological health and safety. And many of us are workaholics with poor boundaries and uh, can push ourselves to the point of burnout. So if you're thinking about going into it, please in parallel, be thinking about developing healthy habits for yourself so that you're not a hypocrite, that you walk your own talk. Yeah, really important points there. And I think um, our conversation with Dia Day around um, vicarious trauma went went to that a little bit and sort of spoke to, um, you know, as, as psychologists, we get trained in, um, you know, professional practice to help us um, set those boundaries and, and do that self-care. And that's, you know, sort of part of the um, the processes that we're expected to follow as professionals, but outside of that psychology discipline, um, those practices aren't necessarily taught to people like HR practitioners or OHS professionals who might also be working in this field. So um, that's definitely a, an area of, of professional development. In saying that though, I see um, many psychologists often being like the mechanic who has a car that doesn't run. Yeah, well, that's it. We, we don't necessarily practice what we preach, but at least yeah. we, we get taught about what we're supposed to do. So, <laughs> Yeah, so well, wise, wise words, Marianne. And um, I'm very fortunate that my wife helps me to keep the boundaries with a young family. And, you know, we, we do have, you know, regular meals around the table at night and we have a huge sporting agenda over the weekend as Joel knows all about. So yeah. <laughs> no, I don't have a sporting agenda. No, I just hear about Jason's sporting agenda. I so. come to work on Monday for a break. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, it is. It, it, it is all about that. What's the balance? What does life mean? Because if life means only work, then uh, it's a house of cards that could collapse at any moment. And so it's important to have those other things in your life that matter. Yeah. Absolutely. So Marianne, that has been a uh, fantastic conversation. Uh, we'd love to uh, pick up the conversation at a later stage, maybe later in the year, um, maybe 
you guys have all been vaccinated by that point in time and there's there's no more COVID like that we have to worry about and we can have a, a brighter conversation. Maybe ISO has been released at that stage and we've seen early adopters pick it up and, and start to apply it as well. But um, Maybe we could even have Marianne here in the studio with us. Wouldn't that be amazing? Yes. <laughs> I'm there. I'm there. Yeah. Yeah, our, our premier, Mark McGowan, will probably prevent that from happening for a while yet. But. Well, if, she, if she's vaccinated. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, we, we won't hold our breath. But Marianne, Sorry. it's been a, a terrific conversation. Um, you did not disappoint, I can tell you that. So thank you so much for coming on. Lived up to the hype. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. It was a pleasure to meet and speak with both of you. So thank you very much. Terrific. So uh, that's it, um, audience. Thanks so much for, for tuning in um, to that conversation. Um, hopefully you got as much out of it as what we did. Um, remember, we videotape all of these. And again, I'm showing my age again. Video we record <laughs> these. Um, He's got a VCR there that he uses and then he <laughs> transfer it to a digital file. Yeah, it's pretty tough, but we make it happen. But look, we do video these things. So you can find them on uh, YouTube after the event. And also, if you're interested in seeing just the highlights, um, we do put them on the Flourish DX LinkedIn page as well. Um, uh, you'll find Joelle and I are very active on LinkedIn. So if you want to follow us or connect with us, uh, we'd be happy to partner and uh, chat with like-minded professionals in this space. So thanks again, everyone, for uh, tuning in and we'll catch you next episode. You've been listening to the Psych Health and Safety Podcast. To stay up to date with the latest on psychological injury prevention, follow Flourish DX on LinkedIn and subscribe to the Psych Health and Safety Podcast at www.psychhealthandsafety.com.